1: all things hold together.
0: Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 17, New International Version
1: Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned.
0: Romans chapter 5, verse 12, New International Version. Hello and Happy New Year! I'm Victoria Kay. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. We're excited to be with you at the start of this new year, and we pray this year will bring joy and blessings to all of our listeners, especially the joy of having a closer fellowship with our Lord Jesus Christ. Today on Anchored by Truth, We're going to start the new year with a new and frankly challenging series of discussions. As just about everyone knows, the Christian faith in America has been subjected to more challenges in the last decade than probably in the first two centuries of the country's existence. So, as we open up this new year, we want to tackle a series of questions that have particular relevance to our day and time. Are any of the objections that are raised about God's existence valid? In other words, Of the many objections that are frequently made about God's existence in our popular media and culture, are any of them supported by logic, reason, and evidence? To help us get started on addressing this very important topic, we have R.D. Fierro, author and founder of Crystal Sea Books, in the studio today. R.D., why are we undertaking this series?
2: Well, first, let me wish everybody a Happy New Year, and we hope this will be a prosperous and blessed New Year for all of the Anchored by Truth listeners. We want to do this series because we're blessed enough to live in an age of technological sophistication where science, engineering, and technology have provided enormous benefits to our world and nation, and that's great. Our advancements in science, technology, and engineering have made life better for enormous numbers of people, and we should celebrate those achievements. But among all of this progress, a very subtle and dangerous temptation has arisen. And that temptation is that we have advanced so much technologically that we no longer see a need for God as our creator, or our sustainer, or our sovereign. That temptation, because we've advanced and grown in areas that have made our life better, has begun to intrude into our national character that says, basically, that we've got it all figured out and that we really don't need God anymore to be our daily companion, to be the one who created everything and who sustains everything. Well, because I'm concerned that this temptation has begun to spread widely within our culture, I wanted to take a fresh look at how the progress that we have made in science and technology has not affected, in the slightest, the inescapable fact that an omniscient, omnipotent, and eternal God is behind it all. We're going to do this in two ways. First, we're going to talk about a statement in either premises or ideas or statements that we normally don't think about in everyday life. But when you start thinking about ideas that apply to God or to divine attributes or to philosophical ideas, this can be a pretty important distinction. Now, some statements or ideas can actually be self-defeating or self-refuting. In other words, these are statements or ideas that may sound impressive at first, but even though they sound impressive, they cannot possibly be true. By contrast, there are other statements or ideas that are irresistibly true. In other words, these ideas are ones that when you look at them carefully, you find out that there's no way that these kinds of premises or ideas can be denied reasonably. They cannot be denied and remain within the boundaries of the laws of logic or the laws that should pertain to reasonable conclusions. So we're going to take a look at the distinction between these two kinds of premises or ideas, and we want to see which ideas are self-defeating or self-refuting by contrasting those with other statements or ideas that are irresistibly true. Or I sometimes say that these ideas are affirmed in dissent, which is to say if you disagree with the idea, you actually have to use the idea in the disagreement. The second thing that we're going to do in this series is to take a detailed look at the objections that are frequently offered to God's existence and the thought processes that undergird these objections. And as we do, I think we're going to discover that we can not only rest assured that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God, but also that all our advancements in science and in being able to understand our world actually underscore our assurance that the Bible is the Word of God.
0: Wow. This sounds like it's going to be a series with a lot of head scratching and maybe some headaches. But it also sounds like it's a series we really need to pursue. So to do that, We've once again asked the Lead Scientist for Creation Ministries International, Dr. Jonathan Sarfati, to join us for several of our shows to bring his unique insights, and frankly vast learning, to this very important subject. So, R.D., what are you
2: calling this series? I've titled this series, The Lord of Logic. You know, it's not uncommon to hear people say in our day and age something like, well, you trust in your faith, but I trust in logic, reason, and science. So when they make that kind of a statement, what they are trying to do is to set logic, reason, and science in direct opposition to faith, as though those things, logic, reason, and science, and faith, somehow had an antagonistic relationship to one another. Well, it's a completely false dichotomy that tries to say that if you are a Christian and if you believe in the Bible, you have somehow abandoned science and logic. Well, nothing, of course, could be further from the truth. Some of the greatest thinkers of the last two millennia and some of the greatest scientists of all time have been devout, Bible-believing Christians who subscribe to the notion of biblical creationism. Now, we covered this subject fairly extensively in our Truth in Genesis series, which we launched early in 2020.
0: And anyone who missed that series can just go to crystalcbooks.com and review it at their convenience. That's why we don't want to take up too much time today covering that material. It's available for free for anyone who wants to get it, using your favorite podcast app.
2: That's a good note, because it allows people to go back and look at that series and see what it has to say about the relationship between science and biblical creationism, and then this series will kind of supplement that, we hope, in a new and different and fresh way. Anyway, overall, we want to combat the notion that the Christian faith somehow rejects trust in logic and reason. So there's one easy way to begin this kind of a discussion, and that's to remind everyone of what we heard in our opening scripture. Anything that exists only exists because God created it. And that includes science and logic. So Jesus is the Lord of logic, just as Jesus is the Lord of everything. But beyond just that simple statement, Through this series, we are going to demonstrate that not only is Jesus the Lord of logic, but also that logic, properly understood and applied, is a reliable guide that will always lead you back to the Lord. Now, initially, I wanted to call this series, The Lord of Logic and The Logic of the Lord, but... But
0: that is a long title, though I'll grant you, it does have nice symmetry.
2: And frankly, that symmetry actually points to something important. The Lord has not only created logic, but He has actually ordered the universe, His universe, in such a way that just as with the rest of His creation, His logic, the Lord's logic, carries His divine fingerprint. So it's not a stretch to say that the Lord designed logic but also that the very existence of reason and the principles of reasoning point directly back to him. Most Christians are familiar with the opening lines of the Gospel of John, which says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Well, many people, while they know that English translation, may not be aware that the Greek word translated as Word, in the Word was with God and the Word was God, that that Greek word was Logos. Now, this is the very same Greek word from which we get the English word logic. Now, in Greek philosophy, the Logos was an abstract force that brought order and harmony to the universe. But the Apostle John has used that word to point out that rather than order and harmony coming from an impersonal abstract force, they actually come from a personal being. The order, harmony, logic, and organization of the universe arise from a very personal being, and that being is Jesus, and of course Jesus is part of the Trinitarian Godhead.
0: And so the head-scratching and headaches begin. Jesus created logic, but the logic that he created always points us back to him. That is simultaneously astounding, amazing, and mind-boggling. But, if you think about it, it's not all that different from the relationship between human beings and their creations. Even if a painter doesn't sign his or her work, skilled observers can often tell which painter actually composed the work. Writers and poets have distinctive styles that allow readers to identify an author, sometimes just from a paragraph or two. Even the shape and style of buildings may reveal the name of an architect or builder. So, I guess it really shouldn't be surprising that all parts of the created order, including the non-physical parts of it, such as language and logic, point directly to an intelligent, personal, but staggeringly powerful being that we call God. So what kinds of subjects are we going to tackle during the series?
2: Well, I think we'll start out by spending a couple of shows thinking about thinking.
0: Thinking about thinking? Really? I'm not sure I even want to ask what that means.
2: Well, here's the point. When most of us are navigating our everyday lives, we employ logic and reason unconsciously. But sometimes, when it comes to faith or religion, All of a sudden, we will accept premises that sound impressive, but really are not, and we will accept those impressive sounding premises without thinking them through.
0: Such as when we don't question certain assertions, even though we know logically that assertion can't be true, because it's what you call self-defeating or self-refuting. For instance, if someone states, there is no such thing as absolute truth, we might not notice that the statement cannot be true. The statement, quote, there is no such thing as absolute truth, unquote, is stated as if the statement itself were absolutely true. So, if it were true, then it would refute itself. Said differently, we could ask someone who said, quote, there is no such thing as absolute truth, unquote, whether that statement is, quote, absolutely true, unquote. Yet most people who heard that statement might nod their head in agreement because it seems so sensible in these relativistic times. I see what you mean about thinking about thinking. You think, no pun intended, that we need to take a hard look at some of the premises that are often offered by critics in their arguments that God doesn't exist.
2: Exactly. So I want to spend one or two episodes just examining statements that are either self-refuting or self-defeating, as we mentioned earlier. In other words, just as a reminder, these are statements or ideas that cannot possibly be true. Also then, after we look at those kinds of ideas, I want to take a look at some propositions or statements that are irresistibly true, or what I sometimes term affirmed in dissent. The premise or the proposition must be true because an argument that attempts to rebut the premise or proposition must presume the truth of the premise or proposition in the attempted rebuttal.
0: I think we're going to need an example of what you're thinking about. Again, no pun intended.
2: Well, here's a statement that cannot be denied. Human beings use language to communicate. Now, if someone were to try to deny that statement, they would have to use some kind of language to present their denial. Whether it was written, spoken, sign language, whatever, they would have to use some kind of a language to deny the statement that human beings use language to communicate. So, as soon as they try to present their denial, they are proving that the statement is true. So, literally, there is no way that the statement can be reasonably denied. I'm not saying they can't claim a denial. I'm saying that the invalidity of the denial is immediately demonstrated because they have to use the truth of the premise to frame their denial.
0: Well, all this thinking about thinking makes me understand why we need to have a longer discussion about this topic. Where will we go after we do all the thinking about thinking?
2: Well, after we think about thinking, we can proceed to examine some specific objections that I have often heard through the years about God's existence. For instance, certainly the most common objection that is offered even in this technological day and age is that God doesn't exist because we have no evidence of His existence. That's essentially the observation that we can't see God, or hear God, or touch God, or perceive God in any way through any of our five senses. And so, since we can't see God, hear God, touch God, then God must not exist. And this essentially is the argument that since God is imperceptible through our five senses, there is no good reason to believe that he exists. Now, sometimes when people make this objection to God's existence, they'll try to pacify their opponents, Christians or others who believe in God. They'll try to pacify them by saying something like, Well, it's okay if you want to believe in God, as long as you recognize that you are doing so based on faith and not on logic or reason.
0: But you believe that the exact opposite is true, that logic and reason are actually themselves evidence that God exists.
2: Yes. Now, I don't want to go too far into this today. I mean, that's the reason that we want to do the series. But here is a very obvious observation. The most popular explanation for the universe's origin today is the Big Bang Theory. The idea that the universe exploded into being 14 or 15 billion years ago from some sort of a cosmic singularity. Now, that view, the Big Bang Theory, is of course directly opposed to biblical creationism where God made the heavens and the earth in six ordinary 24-hour days. But just for the sake of argument, let's assume that the Big Bang Theory is true. Well, if the Big Bang Theory is true, then the origin of the universe was undirected and unguided by any form of intelligence. In other words, all the structures that exist in this universe, and even life itself, arose from the random chaotic collision of atoms and molecules. Well, if all this were true, then logic itself would have been just the result of random and chaotic activity. But randomly created logic is nonsense. You can't have the principles of reasoning. You can't have the formal structures that tell you whether a particular argument is valid or invalid. That is the very opposite of something that's random or chaotic. It's unreasonable in a formal sense.
0: Well... Even Albert Einstein, who is not a Christian or even a theist, said, quote, The most incomprehensible thing about the world is that it is comprehensible, unquote. Einstein recognized that if the universe had originated in chaos, it wouldn't display the order and organization that it does that allow it to be comprehensible.
2: Exactly. Any attempt to declare that logic and reason arose out of chaos is doomed to failure. If logic and reason come from chaos, then the argument that they did come from chaos is itself chaotic. So there's no point in making it. That argument that logic and reason was just the product of the chaotic interaction of inanimate particles, that argument itself is just another product of the random and chaotic collision of those inanimate particles. But no one who declares that the origin of the universe displays no intelligence believes that their arguments are meaningless, purposeless, random, or chaotic. To the contrary, the people who make that argument have very specific purposes in mind when they are making those arguments. And typically that purpose is to convince those of us who believe that intelligence was necessary for the formation of the universe, their purpose is to convince us that we are wrong. Well, in investing their arguments with purpose, they are inadvertently admitting that their fundamental assumption of a universe that arose without a superintending intelligence is devoid of merit. And this same phenomenon is going to be true of all arguments that are made against the existence of God. All arguments that are trying to prove that God doesn't exist or raise questions about His existence, objections to existence, all arguments that do that essentially are going to ultimately fail because they depend on premises that are either self-refuting, such as the one, there is no such thing as absolute truth, or in attempting to deny the existence of God, they are going to have to use premises or evidence that would only be true if God exists.
0: We started out by saying that this particular series of shows would be challenging, and I think just what we've gone over today proves that, and we recognize that. But given the state of our culture today, we just don't think that we can ignore the need to begin to reclaim the foundations of truth that seem to have fallen into disrepair. And the good news is that the best antidote for the cultural poison that has seeped into so many places in our society is for us to spread the truth. As we have said before on Anchored by Truth, the only hope for restoration in our culture is Jesus, but Jesus himself said that the Father wants to be worshipped in spirit and truth. So what other objections to God do you envision tackling as we move through this series?
2: Well, the first objection we will tackle is obviously the objection that since we can't perceive God with any of our five senses, there is no evidence that he exists. From there, I want to talk about at least four other objections that I've run across through the years. Which are? Sometimes critics will say that even if God exists, it is impossible for human beings to know of his existence because the kind of being that we conceive God to be is completely foreign to us. He would be completely different from us. He would be completely other than us. In other words, that argument goes, God may exist but he is unknowable.
0: This is effectively, of course, the same thing as saying there is no God, because it means we can live our lives undisturbed by the possibility of his existence. That would certainly allow some people to live their lives without restraint, but I would find that a terribly hollow life.
2: And so would I. But that idea points to another common objection. And that objection is that the only reason that many of us believe that God exists, that we believe in God, is because we are seeking some kind of comfort in believing that our lives have meaning. In other words, God only exists in our minds as a sort of psychological crutch. This is the idea that man invented God in his own image to cover over the reality that life actually has no meaning. So the typical person who makes this argument would say that Christians are just afraid to face the fact that life arose chaotically and randomly, has no meaning, and ultimately when we die, there is no afterlife, and therefore the nihilistic attributes of that, that we just hate the nihilistic attributes of the reality of life so much that we have to invent God to give our lives meaning.
0: Of course, the same observation could be made in reverse. Some people might like to find a reason to pretend that God doesn't exist so they can ignore His moral and ethical requirements. So, either side could use the psychological crutch point.
2: Absolutely. But you hardly ever hear anyone bring up the point that you just made. But we hear the other way all the time. You never hear somebody say, well, you don't want to believe in the existence of God because that gives you free license to behave any way you want. But you frequently hear people say, well, you just want to believe in God, because when you do so, it gives you comfort, and it gives your life meaning, and that's okay, but it's just not true. Well, anyway, there are two other arguments that are often used to demonstrate that God doesn't exist. One argument, which is a very difficult one to answer, but nevertheless, for which I think there are good and logical ways that we can reply to it, one of the arguments is that the existence of evil means that God either isn't good or, Or if God is good, he isn't all-powerful. So, these critics, these objectors, try to use the argument that if evil exists, then it means that the God of the Bible, an all-good, all-powerful God, can't possibly exist. So this argument, again, it is, I think that that's probably, potentially, the most challenging argument that most Christians would ever run across. But again, I don't think that the argument ultimately is meritorious, and so we're going to talk about the various attributes of that argument and talk about the reasons that it fails too, because it ultimately defeats itself. And I don't, again, go into it too much on today's show, because we don't have that much time left to do a thorough discussion. Well, a final argument that you hear about the existence of God, or why people who object to the existence of God, especially the Christian concept of the existence of God, is that there are so many different concepts of God that exist around the world that it is impossible to know which, if any of them, is true.
0: Ah, uh, the old bumper sticker, quote, God is too big to fit in one
2: religion, unquote. Exactly. Now, of course, what the bumper sticker argument ignores is that there are many forms of counterfeit money that circulate around the world, that circulate in our own country. But that doesn't stop us from trying to make sure that nobody slips any of that counterfeit money to us. The existence of competing truth claims does not mean that one of those truth claims isn't true. You could have a 100 bills on a table, one of them is a real bill, 99 of them are counterfeit, and those 99 counterfeit bills have no impact on the validity, the truth, of that one bill that is a real $100 bill. And we've talked before on Anchored by Truth that the way in which we sort among competing truth claims, the way in which we determine which of those competing truth claims is valid, is by using logic, reason, and evidence. And that's what we want to do during this series. We want to take some time to go through, again, all of these objections that are presented, maybe a couple of others, uh, but at least these. We want to show how those objections always come back to the fact that they're dependent on a premise that is self-refuting, or they depend on a premise that they disagree with, but they are using the truth of that premise in their argument to make their disagreement.
0: Well... Sounds like we're in for quite a thought-provoking journey. Hopefully, not too many headaches. This sounds like a great time to pray. Today, let's listen to a prayer of praise of adoration for the Creator God who set the cosmos into motion and established a home on earth for His people as He prepares them for an eternity with Him in Heaven.
3: A Prayer of Praise for the Creator Mighty and everlasting Father, you are a kind and merciful God. You have given us eyes to see, fingers to touch, ears to hear, and minds to understand. You bring us into the full and certain knowledge of your transcendent, creative, and Power. When men gazed at the stars and sky, they could perceive the depth but not measure the distance. Through your grace, man now has the ability to understand that your cosmos is more supremely complex and vast than ever. Could have been known before What mortal mind can fathom This magnificence Praise be to you Father of the galaxy And praise to your son Who created at your right hand It is because of his descent That we will one day Be lifted up So we pray and give thanks in His name.
0: Amen. Amen. We'd like to remind our audience that a lot of our radio episodes are linked together in series of topics, so if they've missed any episodes, or if they just want to hear one again, all of these episodes are available on your favorite podcast app. To find them, just search on Anchored by Truth by Crystal Sea Books. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage some friends to tune in also, or listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com, where We're we're not famous, but our boss is.